The Deep Purple Podcast guys would know. They just did an episode on it. You're listening to The Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 236, White Snake, Slip of the Tongue, Part 2. And coming to you from the suburbs of Chicago, where I'm sweating to the oldies, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John, Judy's Jazz Hands Matola. <laughs> So we, we've gone through many stages with you of, of like where you've had themes that you kept up for a while. So are you just going to be Judy facts for a while? I think so. Judy <laughs> facts. There you go. Good name well, for Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have any facts today. I'm just Judy's jazz hands. <laughs> Judy's jazz. She had, she, I don't know. Did she do jazz hands? She must have done jazz I'm, hands at some point. Oh yeah, probably. I mean, that, that bitch probably invented it. <laughs> 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 you speak, you you show some proper respect to Judy Garland as oh. the foremost Judy Authority. Garland expert. <laughs> well, all right, that's it. That's it, folks. We're going to be starting the 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 Judy the the side the side podcast, the Judy Garland the Garland cast. Yeah, the the spinoff, the second spinoff podcast of the Deep Purple podcast. Mm. She kind of did jazz hands a- in that photo that I showed you. It was like. Ah! <laughs> No, it was more like it was more like addiction hands. Yeah, it's sad, very sad picture. Forty seven. Good lord. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, today, I uh, um, I have been literally sweating all day. I mowed the lawn. My fault. I haven't mowed the lawn in a very long time. But it was getting mm. super cold, and it was like really cold. And then it's like, ah, oh, just kidding. It's going to be eighty five degrees this week. So I'm like mowing the lawn. It's getting clogged because it's so freaking long. And I'm mowing and mowing and mowing. And I did that, and I walked the dog, and then I walked the dog again. And then when I was walking the dog on the side of the road, it was this beautiful brand new couch, like out the road to be like thrown away. And I know, cause I walked by there every day that we knew people had moved in. Cause I talked to him the other day and I knew the mm-hmm. house was for sale. So I knocked on the door. I was like, Hey, just wanted to double check. Is that couch fair game? They're like, they're like, yeah, go. Yeah, please. They're like, please take it. I'm like, great. So I grabbed the minivan. I threw the seats down. I, I shoved <laughs> the one part of the couch in there with it. The kids had just gotten dropped off from bowling. Cause they're doing that with school now. And I was like, guys, get in the car. We're getting a couch. And they're like, what? So I had them <laughs> help me shove it into the couch. I uh, shove it in the car rather. It was sticking so far out the back of the car. It looked really dangerous. They were really concerned. I'm like, dude, we live so close to here. Don't worry about it. So we did that, did a second run. That's why. That's when I texted you, hey, man, I'm going to be like 10, 15 minutes late because um, <laughs> this is this is like a, this couch looks brand new. And I think they just probably had it from their old place and they moved in. They're like, oh, we don't like the, you know, we don't like the color. I was like, screw that. I'm, this is like probably a $2,500, $3,000 couch. I'm, wow. I'm snagging it, so. So now it's I in my driveway right now, and after the show, I'm going to have to lug it in here, and I'll be sweating I, some more. I need to see pictures of this couch. Well, I can show I can send you, I can text you a picture of it from the road. <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> it's kind of, but still wrapped in plastic from the movers and everything. Oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's one of those ones that's got like a chaise on one part, and then... Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So okay. I, just te- I just texted you a picture of it. You can see the, the part where see. the chaise connects there, and... Uh, 
Yeah, it's in, it's in really good shape. There were just some Jesus leaves Christ. on it because the tree the tree above it shed some <laughs> leaves, but it didn't rain or anything. So oh yeah, it's got the little uh, the grommets on it and everything. Yeah, very fancy looking. Yeah, this wow, this looks like it's in really good shape. Oh, it's it's in like one hundred times better shape than any couch we have in this house. Actually, the the couch we have in the basement here is actually really nice because we actually we had gotten that for free from a friend of ours that moved. Um, Where so. are you gonna put this? We're just. Uh, I think I'm gonna put it in the living room and get rid of that piece of junk. That thing's a piece of crap. I might just. <laughs> I might just put it in another room or just throw it in the garbage. I don't know. Oh. I mean, you you put it out on the sidewalk and have somebody else be like, "Hey, that's a great couch," and then they take it. They won't because it's <laughs> it's all chewed up by the dog. <laughs> it's not a great couch. No, it's a pork. It, it was a shitty couch before mm. that. We've actually had technicians out like three or four times to fix it because it's like part of the back broke. It was a super cheap couch, so it's like we're not complaining, mm. but. But at the same time, you'd expect a couch to be able to withstand sitting on it without breaking, you know, <laughs> you know, one or two people yeah. sitting on it and yeah. the thing like is groaning under the weight of two people. It's like, oh, I can't handle this. <laughs> we can easily fit five. <sighs> you can hear the boards creaking. It's it's a piece of crap. Mm. Um, and there and of course, we got like the unlimited warranty thing on it. And they're like, well, well you know, you have to contact these people. Give them the drag in their feet. I'm going to I'm going to rake them over the coals. I'm going to make them give us a new couch for this thing. No, after I, it's been chewed up by the dog. I never buy a warranty on anything because I you are instantly do. at the bottom of the we give a shit pile when you are a warranty like customer. Yeah. Forget it. Yeah, we can have that fixed in six to eight months. Yeah, forget it. I'd rather spend my money wisely elsewhere. I'd rather spend my money buying um, patronages to great podcasts like this one. Um, if you want to support our show, you can support our show a number of ways. One is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also buy some merch in our Etsy store. Um, we're going to have winter hats coming soon. Um, oh, I was going to show, show this one, but this is like a crappy winter hat that doesn't have anything on it. I thought I had a deep purple hat. Um yeah, I can take the sweatband off when I stop sweating. Um, you can uh, become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. Help support the show that way. We are saving up to buy a new computer, um, as the main recording computer here is hanging on but showing its age. It's going to be turning 10 years old. And uh, Actually, I built it right around the anniversary of the show, so around April, around when we hit our five-year anniversary, this computer is going to hit its 10-year anniversary. And uh, wow. for a computer of this caliber, of running for as long as it has, um, that's a pretty good run. So we're in, we're in need. So maybe for our five-year anniversary, we'll treat ourselves to a new computer. Not that you'll be able to <laughs> see it too yeah. often. Next time you visit, though. I'm hoping G3 comes around here, because that would be a great... Maybe you could come out for that. I don't know if you'd want to come out for G3, but... Um, it depends on who the 3G is. It's gonna. It's the original. It's um, Satriani, Vi, and Johnson. And they announced mm. a bunch of shows, but they're all West. I think the farthest east they go is like Las Vegas. So I'm like, well, this isn't going to mm. work. Um, mm. So um, you can also donate on Cash App using dollar sign DPPO. <laughs> or sorry, <laughs> you forget I forget that last letter. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of had a little a technical glitch in my brain. Or you can support us on Kofi. Buy us a Kofi on Kofi. We would appreciate that. Um, all right. So speaking of patrons coming in at our executive level at the in memoriam tier, we have Gerald Jerry Kelly and his wonderful family. At the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac. At the 15 Squid tier, we have Alan. At the $10 Good Doctor tier, we have Dr. Mike Catan. 
at the Turn It Up to $11 tier. Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard Mortensen, Mickelstein, and Will Porter, PhDPP. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, and Better Call Saul Evans. Then, of course, at the Hughesoween by 2033 tier, we have Fielding Fowler. It just—I don't know. Every every week, it just never gets old. Uh, Usually, no, it doesn't. even the dumbest jingles we've come up with, you know, over time, you just kind of listen to them like you don't even think about them as being funny. But um, no, me is me is me is uh, classic '30s Dracula will never get old. Classic '30s Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, so yeah, it, it it always feels weird when we do it this way when we do a two parter because we just go like right into the music after ten minutes of. BSing, <laughs> but that's quick for us. Um, yeah, but yeah, when when we last left you off, we had played the most recent track on the album, which was uh, "Kittens Got Claws" to close out side one. But here we are at um, on side two, and the opening track on that one is "Wings of the Storm." So, are you ready to get right back into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. This track is Wings of the Storm to open side two. Oh. We had the weird cats to open the last track. <laughs> this one's like a little more of a synthesizer thing. Sounds like Randy Rhodes. Doesn't this sound like like a lost Ozzy Randy track? Yeah, that type of uh, that type of riff is very '80s metal, but the way Vi plays it is very smooth. Yeah. This is one track that doesn't have any. I don't have any real notes on. The ultimate album track. A flaming heart that's yearning. generic lyrically yeah kind of I, w- I was sitting here thinking of how to kind of describe it I think maybe almost kind of generic musically too yeah it's not bad but I'm not like oh this is so good sounds a little rainbow to be honest 
Oof. I don't know if he's doing finger picking or that kind of like when you finger pick with the pick itself and like. That's yeah. That's what it sounded like. I don't know what that's called. Called. I don't think they call it pick picking, but. Pick tapping. Maybe. I don't know. Something I've seen a million times. I never really thought about what it was called. Kind of cool the two like guitar solos in tandem linking up every so often harmonizing. Yeah, I could see this being like a rainbow song to be honest. Guitar might solos might be a little different, but <laughs> yeah. but like the arrangement of it and everything sounds kind of like that. Well, yeah, that kind of like the or the orchestral keyboards in the background, just dun, dun 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 dun. Yeah, you know, very you know, Gates of Babylon or. I mean, I, I, it sounds like Dio era Rainbow. Like I could see Dio doing this. Honestly, I think like if Dio covered or Dio era Rainbow covered this song, which obviously would have been impossible, um, it'd be awesome. <laughs> like it sounds like it could have been like a last a lost track off of um, Rising or something. Yeah, I'm hearing that. I'm hearing that the more that you put it out there. However, I'm not convinced it's the best White Snake song I've ever heard. Hmm. All right. There you have it, Wings of the Storm. I got nothing to add. I don't have any any facts or notes or from reading um, interviews and stuff. I didn't. Nothing really much came up about this song unless I missed it. So, mm. what do you what do you think of this one? Um, well, I mean, I didn't. I didn't think it was really eh, exceptional. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I think um, I think maybe a, a two point five for this one. All right. Um, I think the best way you described it was generic. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of like good playing, fast playing on it, whatever. I think it might have just suffered from um, production being too slick. Because mm -hmm. I heard a lot of things in there that are good, they are heavy, but it's just like, I kind of felt a little sterile. Yeah. And I think we got that on... What was the track last week? Now You're Gone, I think, was kind of the same mm, yeah. the same kind of feeling where it was, you know, you're going to get those tracks that are album tracks or whatever. And But sometimes I find, like, sometimes I often find, sometimes I often, I'm an idiot. Um, but <laughs> um, a lot of times I think like uh, album tracks sometimes stick out to me more than anything. Um, yeah. And then the albums were 
maybe I'm not as much into what they're going for. The album tracks are more album tracks. They're more forgettable. And I think that this mm, is yeah. one of those. And, you know, maybe it's one of those things, too, if I listen. This was not like a huge album for me at any point. So if, it's one of those things if I listen to this on, on constant repeat in 1990 while I'm applying my Aquanet and my, my pleather pants and everything, maybe this was one that would, would have grown on me. But as of now, it has... Not necessarily. I'll give it a three, though. I, I mean, I think it's. I think the bones of the song are good, um, but it kind of underlies maybe uh, an issue with the album in whole, which was, you know, it seemed to be plagued with issues. It took a really long time to make. The, the person that wrote the songs did, didn't even play on it because he was injured. <laughs> it's like a lot of um, non-ideal circumstances to, to, and you know, following up their biggest album of all time is not going to be easy under any circumstances. But it sounds like they were dealt a really bad hand overall. So. All right, now we go with a much more classic sounding White Snake title and um, an extremely uh, subtle track called The Deeper the Love. And of course, this is a. Uh, there was a video for this, right? If there wasn't, there should have been. There had to have been. It's like I could see it in my head, but... Yeah, there was a video. It looked like every other White Snake video <laughs> of this era. Was there? Let me see. Yeah. Yeah, I just looked it up, too. So yeah, Slip of the Tongue and The Deeper the Love are probably the two most White Snake sort of sounding titles on this. This could have been an album title. Hmm. Well, this could have also been like a... It reminds me a lot of an 80s heart song. Oh, yeah. Remember that one with the All I want to do is make a love to you. <laughs> now I want to hear you cover that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen to it. John and Wilson Matola. <laughs> uh, it's funny, no, I, just, I, think I was the, just listening to Heart and Heart album uh, yesterday in the this, car for some reason. This song is from the same mold, I think. Yeah, I was listening to 70s Heart, though, but this is very oh, 80s yeah. Heart. No, it's very like. I mean, I see what they were going for. Like, Coverdale is probably going for a, a you know, a um, a part two of... Um, is this love? What's, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, we talked about that last episode, like the formula. They're like, oh, we throw in an old White Snake tune from the early 80s. We got a power ballad of this style. I mean, this is this is hitting all the the marks of a of a late '80s power ballad. 
And of course, this is one you probably heard a number of times. Not, it, it doesn't get as much as Is This Love, and I don't think it's as good a song, and I think that's probably why. Um... Are they going to modulate? No. No, no the modulation. The only trick they missed. But yeah, it's not as... Um, the deeper the love and slide it in... Well, slide it in isn't even like... I think we might have talked about that in the episode. It's not even a double entendre. It's just an entendre. It's... <laughs> it's, it's a there's, single entendre. There's no other... There's no other meaning of it like slide it in is not something you say like this is the deeper the love we get it you know although he's not doing it really tongue-in-cheek like the way you'd expect him to do it oh the deeper the love <laughs> my love is very deep darling you know you'd expect him to really be playing that up but he's really singing it like this is a straight ballad and there's no but it's hard to see a song called the deeper the love by white snake and not you know it's like They've conditioned us to think about the dirty connotations of their titles, <laughs> even though this one seems like if any White Snake track could actually be a tender love song that isn't a double entendre, this could be it because there's no there's no wink and nod, there's nothing. Mm. Yeah, but you can't help but think that's has to have been what he meant. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think of this one? Mm. I mean. Yeah, it's possible that he was just trying to do it like the the deeper the emotion, mm-hmm. and that's what he was singing. So, um, the I'll give it a three. I thought it was a I, what the deeper the snake. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's a missed opportunity. Um, I'll give it a three. I thought it was a good album track, a decent follow up ballad, if you were um, in the the mold of uh, things that have were already being done or have come before. Like it's not really an original sounding song, but it's, um, no. it's a decent, uh, white snake too. And like, I would, I would put that, I mean, I would put on, um, is this love before I would put on this. Yeah. Um, but I still think it's pretty good. But the one thing that I'm hearing more, um, this album is, is that, um, is, uh, I mean, Coverdale's vocals are good, but I mean, I just feel like he was, he was lacking, uh, some kind of some kind of passion that he had on all the other albums like he just um he wasn't he didn't sound like himself you know mm-hmm. i don't but know how to describe it but. yeah i mean so far i think the album has this 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 air of and you know there's some good songs there's some good songwriting but it has this air of we just got to get this done yeah, and, I I think so. And based on what we talked about last week and what was happening during this time and everything, I mean, I think that was the sentiment. Is they they were under a lot of pressure to get this done. They had to get it done. And and you know sometimes you know you'd you'd like to think that every time a musician works, it's a hundred percent inspiration and stuff. But sometimes you just get in there and you have to just crank something out. You know, just mm-hmm. like going to work at whatever job you may have. You 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 go there and sometimes you're you're 
just doing great. And sometimes you're like, I just got to get this done and go home. Um, yeah. You know, you just, and, and with all the setbacks they had, that might've been part of what was going on here. And maybe some of these songs could have been redone. But at this point, if, to, if they took a year to make this album, the record company is going to be like, we got to put this damn thing out eventually. This can't be another Chinese democracy or whatever. Oh, geez. Yeah. Hysteria. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although that worked out pretty well for them. Mm. Um, um, I think I'll give this one a three as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think it's a pretty good, sl- although like when I, when I think of things in terms of like, is this love? Like I think, um, um, like I, I feel like that's a song that I could hear on something like North Winds unaccom- or just like simple accompaniment and it would still hold up. And I don't know that this song would hold up the same way. And that's, I think the, um, uh, the, I think that's the main, the main difference between these two albums. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, as, a, as for this song, um, Glenn, um, should have mentioned it beforehand, but Glenn Hughes did backing vocals on this one. Couldn't really hear much in the terms of backing vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, this was released as a single, it hit number 28 in the U S and 35 in the UK. So this is, you know, kind of peak, um, power ballad, you know, 1989 mm-hmm. was a kind of peak pop power ballad here in the States. So yeah, this is one of those ones, like I said, we could hear at the roller rink or, or at the, you know, and that, what was that like carnival ride that like was part outside and then went part inside and it would, did, you know, it was like the rock and roll or something. Yeah. I can't remember. You know what I'm talking about though? And they'd always play like the latest power ballads of the day. I always think of that. Yeah, ride when like a, like this song makes me think of that ride, which makes me believe that it probably was playing while I was on it um, at some point. But you know, we just do that ride over and over and again and again. You know, you'd be looking for the, um, you know, the, whoever the 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 metal head kids were there to, to to ride on the ride with, and you know, whoever had the teased hair, and you'd you'd go on that ride with them and listen to a little White Snake. Um, <laughs> Coverdale called this an Otis song. I don't know if that means Otis song if you strip away all the parts. So I don't know if that means Otis Redding. I am definitely not hearing an Otis Redding connection, but um, I, okay. I don't know what he means by that. Uh, David said he wrote the chord sequence to the verses, and Adrian wrote the chord sequence to the chorus, and he finished writing the song on vacation in Tahiti. Must be nice. The single was released in several different formats, including being backed by Judgment Day, Sweet Lady Luck, and uh, Vi, the Vi Voltage mix of Fool for Your Lovin'. So I guess that's where Vi really lets it rip. So <laughs> we'll do a special bonus episode on that one day. Um, okay. The next track up is a song called Judgment Day. Nice little bass part. Light the way 
So a little for the guy accused of being a Robert Plant copy, getting a little too close in the cashmere territory here. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to concede to that one. I mean, maybe not the way, maybe not the way he's singing, but no. the music is definitely very Zeppelin inspired. Which is better because what's that? Um, that uh, Kingdom Come song that is basically Cashmere, even though vocals are exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, what's the name of the song? There's a song that they have that's almost completely a, Get It On, I think, is the name of the song. But this is just the... Um, but it, again, it's more fuel for the fire of the people that say he's just a Robert Plant wannabe. Uh, even more. <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on, guys. I mean, I've been there, like, when you're writing a song and you're like, oh, this is going really well, and then you realize you just rewrote a song that already exists, and you're like, ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I've, done, I've done it plenty of times, but I think you just don't put it on the album when that happens. I just think that there's too many slow tempo yeah. kind of plotting songs on this album. And you're not the hugest Zeppelin fan, so this wouldn't really speak to you anyway. Well, I mean, I always thought that this was kind of cool, but... Wow. <laughs> they really brought out the snare for that. Yeah. For that full force, um, full force Aldridge snare hit. As opposed to his full force soft hit. I don't think that this is bad. It's just, um, it's a little slow tempo for me. Or, I mean, maybe if there were more rockers surrounding this yeah. one. But you just came out of a ballad into this. But I mean, you kind of had the low, kind of the lower energy, like Wings of the Storm. Yeah. At least the way it was recorded. Then a ballad, now this. And then I think the other two are kind of slow, too. Well, um, slow is in the name we'll, of the next song. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to it, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I honestly like this song. Oh, so do I. But I, I mean, feel like it's, it's dangerously close to being... Um, well, or, or I could just say it is derivative of Zeppelin. Yeah, but also you have like kind of a derivative riff um, on Wings of the Storm. You yeah. have a derivative song and idea on Deep of the Love. And now you have a basically a ripoff on Judgment Day. <laughs> and I mean, I think like the most interesting thing 
about this, or maybe a lot of these songs, is just Vi's guitar playing, because just to hear the way he weaves his guitar parts together or his mm-hmm. effects or the way he just kind of plays or throw things in or, or um, you know, adds kind of ambiance to the song is, is like, it's always good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of these players, especially him. But, um, you know, I think in the context of, you know, the, the songs, it's like, you know, the, the leads and the, the fills and everything like that. And the layers that he's putting down, if it's, if it's not on like a great song or something that's really moving you, then, you know, overall, you have to look at the overall product, you know? Yeah. And I, I it's think. something like this has to be so easy for Vi too. Oh yeah. Because he's so used to creating these really complicated, you know, the things that come out of his mind are just, you know, jaw dropping on a, on a regular basis. So for him to come in and be like a, a, a bit player, I don't say a bit player, that's probably the wrong term, but like a, to be a, just a, a hired gun on this right. album and I mean, just be like, Hey, play this song yeah. and do a solo. I mean, this is just gotta be easy money for him. Like he just comes in, does a solo. I'm sure he's a one take guy. I'm sure this, I'm, I can't see Steve Vibe and like taking 18 takes to, to get a solo, right? You know, although I'm sure it may, it may take him a long time to like maybe compose it in his head because I think he's very deliberate in what he plays. But yeah. um, this has got to be an easy, uh, easy check for somebody like him who's used to, you know, I'm sure in recording his solo works, it's probably a very laborious process because he's got this, all the this stuff going on in his head because he's a friggin' super genius when it comes to uh, the sort of guitar playing. And you'd um, think that Coverdale comes in, he's like, Stephen, darling, could you play? Like, yeah, I think I can handle that, Dave. <laughs> I think I'll manage to get that done. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, you know, now that you're talking about it, uh, one thing that you said was, is like, Vi is a very deliberate player. And that really makes me think, if you go back to, the earlier White Snake albums, Moody and Marsden, mm-hmm. I mean, they they really weren't deliberate players. They they like they really, I mean, I'm sure they worked out their parts and everything, but they were really bluesy players. Yeah. They shot from the hip. They played stuff that was you know had this kind of wild abandon to it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, this sounds much, very like measured and controlled, and um, you know, just the type of style that these musicians are playing. Um, is, you know, not really the white snake that we're used to because they're just, even on the 87 album, I mean, you could tell these guys just like let it rip. And this one, it just sounds like, you know, they kind of had like a metronome going or something the whole time. Like, make sure you stay with the click track and a metronome going at 70 beats per minute, (laughs) really slow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's what I think it is. And, um, and I mean, you've never had this band um, on record before, like, I mean, you had, um, Tommy Aldridge and Rudy Sarzo on tour, but not mm-hmm. together in the studio. I mean, even on the friggin' Ozzy albums, you know? So it's like, when, when did you really hear these two guys together? Right. You know, and when everybody's, oh, they're so great. It's like, well, yeah, maybe live, but I mean, in the studio, like, yeah, I think there's I a, know. yeah, there's a different energy of them playing live and playing yeah. the 87 songs too here when we're not hearing those songs hearing new right. new stuff um mm-hmm. yeah of this song Cover, coverdale says um it was an he said openly says it was an homage to cashmere no quarter and still of the night i don't know how you do mm-hmm. an homage to yourself but um Cover, <laughs> coverdale said i wrote that song and he says this i wrote that song peeved at my old friend and believe me at one time we were friends robert plant he had stated 
he had started on a witch hunt for me, and I decided to really stick it to stick it up his bottom and do a, you know, I'm a huge fan of Middle Eastern music. And whenever I'm in Portugal, I tune into the Moroccan or Algerian radio or whatever, and everything sounds like cashmere. And I mean no disrespect, because as you know, I worked with Pagey, whom I love dearly. But quite honestly, I had all these elements for the song. Adrian came in and wrote the beautiful bridge, the music for the bridge. We walked toward desire and the rest of the stuff is pretty much mine. I had back surgery after herniating a disc and I was completely compromised on Percodan and I wrote what I called the Percodan riff. I was like Lemmy. So I don't I don't get the Lemmy thing. <laughs> was Lemmy on Percodan? Or, uh, <laughs> Maybe. I mean, he did everything else. He could have been. He was, who knows? He was Lemmy. ingesting everything else and lived to a, lived to a ripe old age. So. I don't know if it was that ripe or old. <laughs> Well, for Lemmy, <laughs> for somebody who lived the way he did, it was probably pretty <laughs> exactly pretty pretty ripe and old. Exactly, he's a guy who had friggin' cigars and whiskey for breakfast. Uh, probably, <laughs> well, he, he lived to seventy, I think. So it's uh, it's pretty good for the way that he lived. I think that's longer than anybody thought Lemmy would live, including Lemmy. <laughs> it's probably about it's probably about thirty to forty years longer than he th- would have given himself credit for. Uh, um, so Judgment Day, it's our turn for Judgment Day. How are you going to judge this one, John? Um, I'll give it a three. Um, I mean, it, it, from what I was saying, it sounds like I don't like it, but um, if you just judge it on its own, uh, just sitting there, it's like if you're in the mood for kind of like a mid to slower tempo zeppelin-esque song you know it's um you know it 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 fits the bill i never disliked the song i just always like just always thought the pace was too slow but i mean if you really get into the groove of it you kind of close your eyes and you get into the no 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 you know it's like you have to be you have to be patient with it (laughs) you know what i mean you have to you you can't want it you can't want to hear like a like a uh like a barn burner at this point. No. So, and I mean, it's, I guess it's in the right place, right song order in the album where it's just like, okay, we've just had a ballad. So, you know, I can, I can handle this. What's the opposite of a barn burner? Like, how do you, how do you slowly like a barn dismantle, like a, like a careful, uh, like disassembling of a barn. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like a, uh, like a turtle walker. <laughs> okay, we'll have to workshop this. <laughs> you know, somebody tell us what's the yeah, opposite, tell us of, a what's the opposite of a barn burner. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah, I'll give this one a three too. I, it's like where I kind of like it, but uh, yeah, like you said, and maybe and hey, in the re-release version, he completely reworked the the the, the running order for the songs, and maybe that was on purpose because here we are, halfway through, more than halfway through side two, and. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of the same kind of slower tempo stuff, so maybe that's the reason for the revised track order. I don't know, but we're playing it in the original track order. So, and speaking of slow, the next track up is called "Slow Poke Music." Sounds like something extreme would have written back then. Oh, good call. 
he's got that Coverdale swagger a little more in his vocal delivery in this song. Where he's doing the, <laughs> yeah, and he's kind of like half laughing and stuff, like all that stuff. That's great. But full, full disclosure, I always thought Slowpoke music was one of the stupidest <laughs> titles for a song I've ever heard. Yeah, I never, I always thought it was dumb, and then I just realized what he most likely meant by it. Right. Giving her a slow poke, darling. Seems like more of a fast poke guy. It's the no bone movies of the Coverdale catalog. And that's just a weird, well, it was a weird title until I realized what, that there was a thing called, that the British called them bone movies, because that was really yeah. late when I realized that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe they sound similar in title only, and that's about it. It's the only way those two are alike. Whammy Bar's doing some work on this one. not wildly up tempo from the previous songs but it does it does it feels like it swings a little bit more yeah i really think it has to do with the production Well, you know what it is, too, is, is like the riff doesn't have a ton of momentum in it because it was just like the last one where he plays something and then Coverdale sings basically over the drum beat. So yeah. it's like kind of a start, stop, start, stop. And I think there's a little too much of that on this side. I think it just... in. Coverdale being working in this sort of environment it's a casualty of its of its time where it's just this is what they were doing in major American labels yeah. I mean if he had if he had kept Whitesnake a little more stable through the early 90s they probably would have had a grunge style album but thankfully that for you that didn't happen You say I'm gonna skin it back to the bone for you, baby. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, gross. Skin it back to the bone. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, is it gonna like fall fall off the bone like pulled pork? <laughs> <laughs> like short ribs. Just gonna pull those things right out. 
Skin it back to the bone like short ribs, baby. Ow! <laughs> like short ribs, baby. <laughs> I mean, short ribs, baby might have been a uh, slightly less silly name for the song. Mm. I don't know. That's. I guess that's the main thing I always have with this, like slow po- slow poke music. It's like what? Why, why that? <laughs> like if you just changed it, to, those are three. Those are only three words in the English language. If you just made some other collection of other three words, wouldn't it have been fine? Yeah. Yes. I like, but, but what you said, I had never considered that maybe it's you know euphemism for having a slow poke, but I don't know. Yeah. Which I mean, maybe Coverdale fancy <laughs> fancied that from time to time. <laughs> maybe yeah, just like a. Hmm. I could picture it. He's like, how about a slow poke, darling? As Chris L would say, slow languid lovemaking. <laughs> <laughs> languid. <laughs> you should have called the song "Slow Languid Lovemaking." Well, I guess it's a lot more syllables. <laughs> but yeah, slow poke music. John, what do you think of this one? Mm, I, I'm gonna have to poke it at a two point five. You're there. poking it way down there. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think it's just it's suffering from like side two. Side two um, fatigue, fil- side two fatigue, filleritis, filler track. It's um, I, I think it was like a, a like a, already like a couple of these songs. I mean, you had you had Judgment Day, which was a ballad, but uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, the deeper the love, which was a ballad. Um, but then Judgment Day and Slow Poke were just kind of that same or a similar formula of just like the the guitar playing and then. Coverdale singing with no guitar like there's no momentum to the to the riffs or to the songs which I mean you had Vi doing some stuff under the layering some guitar parts under Coverdale's vocals in slow poke music but I mean it's it's just kind of like after a while that kind of stuff can get uh fatiguing which is why I don't think I've really listened to uh to uh too much of like Vi's um non-instrumental stuff uh, because I mean, he's really he's he's a musician through and through. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that he's not good to be in a band, but I mean, he shines better when he's doing his instrumental tracks, um, in my yep. opinion. So I will give this one a uh, 2.5 as well. Um, Slowpoke. So <laughs> I don't know. This just popped in my. Head. I always think of um, there's a Pokemon named Slowpoke. It's like this little pig. Yeah, <laughs> and what I think about, which just popped in my head, I don't know why this never popped in my head before, but our friend Lynn and I and our friend Paul, when the Pokemon movie came out, we went to go see it in the theater, and I think mm. we were the only people in there that were not like of our age that were not stoned, although we were acting like we were. I don't know why, but but there was this short they ran before the movie. And there was this one scene where it was so freaking trippy. Like I, they had to have designed this for adults to get baked to. There's no way that kids <laughs> would even want to watch this. But they had a bunch of these slow pokes like lined up on the screen, and then they just focused on one of them, and he's just go. He just starts going slow for like for like it holds it for like 40 seconds. And I look over at Lynn, and she is in absolute hysterics. Like she cannot stop. It was like that scene in Seinfeld where he puts the little Pez. Spencer in Elaine's lap and she can't stop laughing. She was dying laughing at how like ridiculous this (laughs) this thing was. 
<laughs> so now oh, it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. It lasted so long. Slow. So yeah. So I just so I think of Slowpoke the Pokemon when I when I listen to this uh, song. And now I don't know why I never before now thought about that moment, but it was it was a definitive moment of I don't again no idea why the three of us went to go see that movie. What what the scenario is I can't remember because it was I don't know it came out like ninety eight or ninety nine or something but um, there you have it we were we were just there I don't even remember if there was anyone else in the theater or if there was just kids or what it was but there we were three three grown adults watching the Pokemon movie and laughing <laughs> our asses off mm. all right two point five for that one and that brings us to our last track of the album which is a song entitled Sailing Ships. Hey, you know, before we do that, though, I didn't mention actually the information I have about this song. <laughs> you were like, no, wait. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't really have much about it. I shouldn't have stopped it. Okay, so Glenn Hughes did backing vocals on that one as well. Oh, again, not really catching that. And Vandenberg said it was his favorite. It was another riff from his, I'm sorry, not a favorite. It was another riff from his uh, song, his band Vandenberg. Uh, so it's like a leftover recycled riff. Um, all, right. all right. Sorry for the false start there. Here we go with the album closer, Sailing Ships. Sounds like a sitar in there. Yeah, it's a really a uh, trademark of Steve Vai. Who knows with him, it could just be a guitar he made sound like a sitar. Yeah. But I really do like it in this song. Very Metallica sounding guitars here. other Dio vibes off of this one. It sounds like it could be a one of Dio's amazing ballads or something. Yeah. Overall, a lot fewer songs about boning on this album. In that there's even one that's not about it. Boning. <laughs> Porking. <laughs> Porking. <laughs> well, I mean you have to use um you have to use like uh adolescent terms when you're talking about Coverdale and sex. Yeah, we were adolescent at the time, so <laughs> Boon. Fingering. <laughs> <laughs> All right, easy there. You settle down. <laughs> Me. <laughs> Me, it's Coverdale. God. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't have like an album called like Finger on the Button or something. <laughs> it's about nuclear war, darling. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> Coverdale's political statement. I'm really, I'm really worried about nuclear Armageddon, darling. In the meantime, this 
<laughs> the album cover is like like an illustration of a guy's hand on a woman's like front of her panties or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a metaphor for nuclear war, you see. <laughs> an explosion in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you imagine if he did that, like the nuclear war, the grunge thing, like that would be so. Yeah, if he did like so a like a Rust in Peace style album, <laughs> like all about <laughs> all about sex, comparing sex to <laughs> nuclear war. <laughs> World War Three in your pants. All right, but back to this song. Despite that silly interlude. I like the song a lot. No, I do too. I think it's got a good build. A long build, three and a half minute build. Just the way it comes in, very grandiose sounding. This reminds me of a little Zeppelin sounding too. Not now, but that little interlude. And despite my ranking for the previous song, I feel like vocally he sounds more into it and more Coverdale on these last two songs. This is a really cool solo. It was a great vibe solo. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, he's just a master. There's no denying it. Very high for Coverdale. Oh, yeah. All right. And that closes out. Slip of the tongue. Oof. So Coverdale says... Sailing ships, that's about challenges we face in life in general. The open palette of your life is up to you. 
You can take the song as if you left home for the first time. It's any new adventure that you embark upon. It's up to you. Of course, people are instrumental, but in the final analysis, everything else is a catalyst, a galvanizing force to be recognized. Vandenberg said that Vi altered his original vision for the song. Um, Yeah, but then again, he chose to. He made a huge mark with his style of playing, and he's a fantastic player. Uh, Vandenberg counts this and Burning Heart as the two best songs he'd ever written. Hmm. So. All right, John, what do you think of sailing ships? Um, I'll I'll give this, um, I'll give it a four. Mm -hmm. Um, Strong, strong closer. Um, I think Coverdale is good at kind of, um, whether he's closing out an album on a kind of a slower note altogether, Mm -hmm. um, or doing a song like this where it kind of builds up. Um, it's it's kind of like um, he's he, he does pretty well with like dramatic endings. Yeah, I think. Um, and uh, this one definitely was. Um, I mean, I like um, I like the the sitar or sitar effect. You know what what Steve Vibe adds to the song, um, and I like the way the song builds. I mean, it was a really slow build, but it's mm-hmm. um, you know it just has this really finality, like the final quality of uh, being like a really good closing track. And then, you know, of course, Coverdale's vocal at the very end is probably, you know, one of his best in terms of technical ability Mm -hmm. or, you know, being able to reach like that high note. Um, So, and, and, you know, it was cool, you know, it really added that air of like, you know, the song really ended on a, um, just a really powerful note. And that I think kind of clinched it. Yeah, and is this and is this Coverdale maturing a little bit? Like not having every song be about sex, having only Maybe. most of the songs be about sex. You know what I mean? It's like he talks about this as like you know, life is up to you and facing these challenging things. And I, I, I don't know. Maybe he's he's Maybe. finally <laughs> in his forties. He's finally. Well, I guess he wasn't forty yet. In his late thirties, he was finally. Uh, Maybe there's more to, to life than just sex. Not much more. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little more. A little more. <laughs> um, I will give this one a four as well. I really like this song. I dig it a lot. Um, you know, we'll t- when we get to Starkers in Tokyo, we'll talk about it. But yeah, I think that mm. there's some, so many great versions of songs. And the, the sailing ships on that one is incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's a slow build. and Not even really a slow build. It's just a long build (laughs) it's not even really a build it's just like a long intro it's almost an entire song it's like three and a half minutes and then it kind of goes into this other direction so it's cool you at that point you're almost wondering is this just going to be the whole song and then it kicks in and you know gets a little bit more what you'd expect from the white snake at this era so um i think it's a strong closer just as strong a closer as the opener was in my opinion and uh yeah there you have it sailing ships and uh yeah. Speaking of sailing ships, uh, it's uh, time to. That's a terrible segue. It's <laughs> time to. As as John busts out the spreadsheet, it's going to be time for me to um, talk about our latest level of patrons. Coming in at the core level, at the $7.77 keep it warm rat tier, we have. Michael Vader at the $6.99 new nice price tier. We have Spike the Rock Cat and Sugar Tea. 
at the $6.66 tier, we have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith. Anton Glaving and Charles Meadows at the $6.65 tier. We have Kenny Wymore of the $6.65 almost evil tier, I should say. Kenny Wymore, Michael Bagford, and Richie Sucksmith at the $5.99 nice price tier. Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, and Carl Helberg. And at the 60 kroner Scandinavian Knights tier, we have Newt Morton Johansson. At the five dollar, I'm sorry, the five dollar fifty five cent. What's going on here? Tier Richard Fusey. At the five dollar money lender tier, we have John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger, Slepikov, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zerns, Cynthia Duby, Raf Calf, and Coyote Bongwater. All right. Well. You know what time it is, John. All right. That was, a, that was an older version of that track. <sighs> I don't know. I couldn't hear it. Uh, Oh, sorry. <laughs> I couldn't hear anything for the past minute because you had everything turned ah, off. Ah, crap. I always do that. This stupid Zoom. We need a better solution than Zoom. All you podcasters out there, I've heard there's some other things that people use um, yeah. to do this. Uh, you know, we started <laughs> on Zoom. We've been using it for a long time. Um, yeah. You know, we started using it when nobody knew what Zoom was, and then COVID hit and everyone's life was on Zoom. But, uh, yeah, I think we need something a little more podcast friendly. And plus, we're paying monthly for this damn thing. We should have something that works better. Yeah. That you don't have to constantly toggle back and forth. Yeah. I'm tempted to play that again, play the right one. But anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> John's I've not interested. <laughs> I've heard it. Come on, let's, let's move this shit let's along. Let's move it along. Move it along. Come on. <laughs> Time is money, move people. I got places to be. All right. Uh, no, I don't. Bust um, out that spreadsheet. John, where does yeah. White Snake slip of the tongue fall in our am- album rankings? Mm, slip of the tongue. <laughs> it gets a um it gets a six point six five rating. Okay. Um very, very minimal variance between the two of us on this one. Mm-hmm. Um it is toward the bottom of the spreadsheet. Let's say bottom like quarter maybe of the spreadsheet. The bottom quartile. Um, yeah. And uh you got slaves and masters uh right above it and Ingve's Odyssey right below it. Which which Ingve is that? I'm not I'm not sure. What? Which Ingve? Could you be more specific? Ingve J Oh J, the J Melves, I gotcha. Okay. I just want to make sure it was the same one that I was thinking of. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> no, it's actually Ingve P. Malmsteen. <laughs> yeah, we haven't covered any of his stuff yet. No, but um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's um, it's yeah. I would say it's around where where I would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, I think overall a um, a decent effort. I always I always thought that like I looked back on this album as um 
you know, good, good memories associated with it. But, um, um, thought that I liked the album as a whole better. And it just turns out that I like a handful of songs yeah, uh, more than I do like the entire album. Um, that being said, yeah, I think it, you know, it does suffer from very slick production, um, being a little, uh, um, derivative, uh, you know, kind of sequel itis, mm-hmm. uh, trying to replicate what came before. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, even, even like when you look at the, the, the band photos, it's like they, they look almost identical except Steve I is in them, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. It could have and, been Photoshopped um, in for all, you know? Right. Right. But, um, but that being said, I'd say it's like a, a decent, uh, a decent album of its time. Um, not the, not the best or the, the strongest white snake album, especially, you know, considering their massive back catalog, which, you know, we are all familiar with and love. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll agree. I think, uh, it's very of its time and this is where I really start to, have an issue with a lot of the when decisions are being made by the suits, you know, as it were, and, and they're mm. well, and I'll read a lot about what they're saying in a little bit. Um, because they're talking about all the ways that this could have been better and everything. And to me, I'm just like, eh. I really like when artists have a lot of freedom to do whatever they want and they're not. Yeah. just doing something to be but i get it when you get to this point when you had that 87 album and it was as big as it was now there's all this pressure to have a follow-up and the follow-up has to be just as big and it's got to sell just as much and to do that you have to appeal more to the masses and when you do that you know that's great it appeals to more people gets more people in your band and all that for me i generally tune out a little bit more i really like when bands have freedom to do even if they just put songs in their album that are ridiculous or songs that would never make it onto the album. Like that's what that's, you know, it's one of the things I like about Zappa is like, you're not listening to this saying, Oh yeah, there's a total song doctor job on this one. This, this is a guy who had 100% creative control and did whatever the hell he wanted to do. And sometimes it's completely inaccessible to almost anybody. Sometimes it's just totally awesome. Sometimes I really love it. Sometimes I'm not crazy about it, but for better or worse, like the albums as a whole, I love because there's just a, just a wide range of different things on there. But I guess when you Mm -hmm. get to this point, when you're this big, you almost have to sacrifice that level of freedom. Like who's going to, you know, Taylor Swift isn't going to, you know, put a song on her album. That's got a, uh, you know, somebody, playing Oompa Loompa music on it or something. She, the, the, even with at her level of, of absolute stardom, uh, somebody's going to be like, you can't do that. <laughs> I don't care who you are. We got to, we got to sell records here and that's not going to work. You, you're, so you're a little bit more, I guess, pigeonholed into what you can do and can get away with. Yeah. I mean, um, I think the other part of this too is, is that, um, and one thing that I was thinking about maybe, you know, toward the, the end of the album was, is that Vandenberg wrote all these songs with Coverdale or all of them or most of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you have essentially like another guitar player coming in and interpreting his, his writing and his parts. So mm-hmm. it's like, 
would it have sounded different if Vandenberg was on the album with or instead of by? Um, yeah. Would it, would it have been better? Would it have, like, how would the songs have been different? Because there was one, didn't you say that there was one song where it was like, was it Sailing Ships was like completely different from their original vision or a lot different? Yeah, it was different from what Vandenberg was thinking of it. Yep. Right, exactly. So it's just like, you know, him sitting on the sidelines, you know, he's probably... You know, who knows if he was pulling his hair out or going, no, they're butchering this. But it's like, you know, no doubt he he would have done it differently. And yeah. I would have liked to have heard, you know, if they had done any demos of these or, you know, his version, like his um, like full band version um, instead of Vise to see like, you know, how it would have turned out. So you don't know. And I mean, and even a guitar player as good as Vi coming in and, interpreting somebody else's parts i mean it doesn't mean automatically mean it's going to be great right yeah i mean it's going to be vi and it's going to right. be great in that regard but it doesn't mean it's you know it's gonna work. i think vi is obviously technically one of the greatest guitarists ever but he's also struck me as like i said somebody that's not He's not, um, he's not like Ingve. He's not out of control. He's not somebody that's just <laughs> gonna <laughs> just be all over everything. He's got, he has a much better appreciation for songs and for the craft of creating an album. And, you know, mm-hmm. he just got off of working with David Lee Roth, and that's not gonna work with David Lee Roth either. He's gonna throw in some blistering solos and all that, but he's not gonna come up with a composition that's, so, that's like completely inaccessible, like, you know, like some guitar players would. Um, but as far as this album, it made it to number 10 in the U.S. charts, obviously coming on the heels of the previous album, so it was going to do well regardless. Um, John Kolodner had a lot to say about this album, most of it negative. He said, the two main problems with this album were that Tawny Katane was there and John Sykes wasn't. That's why it didn't perform as well as the previous album. Um, and, you know, here we are again, you know, it didn't perform as well. It made it to number 10. That's not... Anything to sneeze it's at. It's not nothing. Yeah. Uh, Kaladner also said Coverdale wouldn't work with the writers he used with Aerosmith. He said that the same thing happened, that this same thing happens to all great bands. No great songs, just good songs. So he wanted to get them to work with songwriters more to kind of song doctor things. And yeah, well, I mean, sure I, I think to. he's right. If, if he had done that, it probably would have been considered a better album. But I applaud Coverdale for not just mm-hmm. saying, yeah, let's do that. Like for just doing things the way he wanted to do it. Right. I'm sure that, you know, he, he probably wanted to them to write with a uh, Desmond child and Diane Warren and Holly Knight. Exactly. <clears throat> some of the big names of the day who, you know, produce some of the biggest hits of, with on their own or with co-songwriting with like, uh, you know, just name any of the artists mm-hmm. at this time. And I can understand where, Coverdale was coming from and I, I think for the record company and the producers and all that they you know hey we need a hit and all this and I think they're just more interested like hey I want to make what I want to make I don't want to necessarily take this song that's my baby and some and some bands are really good at that like Aerosmith and Kiss and other bands that work with a lot of songwriters where they're okay with that sort of thing and they've made their peace with it but i can't see david coverdale saying yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna have like somebody like tell me how to do this song so that it's um 
I don't know, so that it's so that it's just appeals to more people. More marketable. He wants yeah. to do what he wants to do, and I I respect that. But um, Collider said he loves Steve I, but he's best when he's doing Steve I. He never belonged in White Snake. I, I don't know if hundred percent agree. With, I see what he's saying, but I don't know if I hundred percent agree with that. Um, Coverdale said um, the demos he worked with Adrian for the album kicked ass, but that he uh, but that the album proper got overdone. He said Tommy Aldridge yeah. wanting to get all his licks in. Rudy Sarzo was trying to get all his licks in. Adrian Vandenberg was trying to get his licks in. Steve Vai was. There was no foundation. Everyone was just being overly flamboyant. And there's this picture I have at home just to remind me to never go there again, where I'm standing in the middle of this utter chaos. And you know, I can hear what it was like. The look on my face was like, what the hell am I supposed to sing here? Um, so he sees this as a, this album as a, as a, a learning experience for him. Kalaner said he made Aerosmith throw out the entirety of Get a Grip and do it over. Um, he said that he would have done the same for this album, but it had taken so much time and cost so much, and there was so much pressure to get it out that he just couldn't do that. Um, he said it was a gigantic mistake in my career that I let Slip of the Tongue record come out. Uh, Kalaner said there was no hit song, and that that was his fault. They leaned heavily on power ballads, as those were huge at the time. Olson said that uh, people were saying that the sales were so terrible. He said that they sold 4 million albums in 16 months, whereas the other did 12. He thought it was ridiculous that the record company called it a failure based on only 4 million albums being sold um, and only had one big hit as opposed to two or more. Mm. Um, sure, sure. Mo mo uh, most bands would love to have that. Yeah, at any point in their career, never mind multiple times. Um, Rudy Sarzo was talking about how you know they spent a huge amount of money. They were they making these videos. They were spending about three hundred fifty thousand dollars per video shoot. He said years later, he said I listened to the album recently and I quite enjoyed it. I really did. It's a very different White Snake record. I think actually it's more acceptable today than it was in eighty nine or ninety when we recorded and released it because certain things were expected of White Snake. Again, it should have been more bluesy, and of course Steve Vai brought more of a guitar virtuoso side to it, which I really enjoyed. I gotta say, working with Steve Vai, I learned so much from him. It was tremendous. So yeah, I think the musicianship and everything, it was a great record, it was a great band, uh, and a great record. Kalodner said he tried every trick he could think of to get Coverdale to team up with other writers and do another album but Coverdale was just not a fan of using Song Doctors so he said he even tried to get him to bring Sykes back into the band and he's talking endlessly in this books that I showed you last week about oh we gotta get Sykes in the back of the band he's such a good looking guy he looks so good he's so he's such a handsome hunky sexy guy <laughs> it's like never says anything about his guitar playing <laughs> which I mean obviously he's a great <laughs> guitar player too but um, mm. but it's just it's just funny to be like oh you gotta get him in the back of the band he's such a he's he's hot you gotta get him in it's <laughs> like <laughs> just a funny basis to um, uh. bring somebody in like like Adrian Vandenberg is so hideous looking like I mean come on. <laughs> It's like he, I if, mean, if he had a guitarist with like you know like buck teeth, <laughs> like it's just like you know like a like 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 a like a cousin Ira balding spot, you know like something like that. But come on, I mean I'm looking at I'm looking at a a, a picture right now of the slip of the tongue uh, version of the band. I mean it, outside of Tommy Aldridge looking like Skeletor with a wig, I mean. <laughs> The rest, the rest of the band looks pretty attractive. Yeah. Yep. 
I mean, you know what I mean? Like none of these are like, like you said, these are like buck tooth looking yokels or anything. Yeah, like. Tommy Aldridge is just a, a he. He was a, a victim of the fact that he always looked he was like he was 60 years old. Now it's working great for him because he looks younger. <laughs> but I mean, even even in the 70s, he looked like that. I mean, he's just he mm. never he's never looked any different. <laughs> yeah. And of course, they don't even let Don Airy in the photo shoots. But there you go. Mm. Um, all right. So should we get into some reviews? Sure. I got a few, All right. not as many yeah, as I normally do, because um, this let's album was just not as as much of a. Oh, I got to look at you. We've got some of them in the wrong spot here. Let's see. I've got some over. Oh, I'll get those later. Um, OK, so slip of the tongue album review from Darker Than Blue issue number thirty nine. Um, this one says the only recent live sighting of David Coverdale came on November 15th. 1989 at the Hammersmith Odeon when he came onto stage to join headliners Aerosmith for the encore. They romped through I'm Down and a bluesy tune with bits of uh, bits of Beatles tunes like Yesterday and Help thrown in. David did BBC, BBC Radio 1's Friday Rock Show on November 17th on air for just four minutes. I wonder who their singer is this week, came the jibe when asked about Deep Purple. <laughs> Uh, for once, I don't feel like retorting. After his promotional visit, Coverdale returned to the States on November 24th, where the band were set to make uh, videos and then begin live rehearsals. They'll be on tour in America uh, from February to July, then hit Europe in August. Interesting that while the new album, Slip of the Tongue, is coming, is coining it in America, European chart action was markedly down on the last set. Um, okay, so that's just kind of a little wind up. And then it says, another step on the road to Americanization and a further move towards radio-friendly AOR from the very British-based blues roots Coverdale once championed. The precise, mm. technical, efficient, but cold guitar of Steve Vai, coupled with solid but unimaginative work from Aldridge and Sarzo, failed to produce anything worthwhile on which to lay the fruits of the new Coverdale-Vandenberg partnership. The songs range from the by now standard Zeppelin ripoff Judgment Day to the well-trodden purple ballad put sailing ships alongside Soldier of Fortune to see what I mean. Fool for Your Loving follows their trend of stripping down past classics and replacing contained emotion with harsh aggression. Overall, a disappointingly bland slice of U.S. rock. Roy Davis. Um, is that Roy Davis from the Kinks? Did he write that? <laughs> Um, that I mean, that's that's a pretty. I would say that's a pretty accurate review there. Yeah, like I, I would mostly agree with it. Yeah, I I would say so too. Um, oh no, it's Ray Davies, not Roy Davis. Was it? Did I say Roy or Ray? You Roy, Roy. It's Roy. Okay. Okay. Roy. Roy Davies. Davis. I've I spelled Davies, but I know it's pronounced Dave. I've, somebody told me once it was pronounced Davis, so I'm trying to pronounce it Davis. Um, okay. Uh, and then uh, I'm assuming Simon from Darker Than Blue says that's one of the kinder reviews. So a little bit of a a little bit of a poke at them there. Then I do have some other a slow poke. A, a slow poke. Um, I do have some other reviews. Um, some of them from, uh, there's a, of course, one of your favorite publications did a review of it. You know what that is? 
Boo. <laughs> booing already. The Rolling Stone. That's right. Rolling Stone. And this one, I don't know if it's... um. I can only find it on archive.org, so I don't know if they've just scrubbed the review from their um <laughs> from their archives or whatever, but this one starts if albums were women, slip of the tongue would be the proverbial ice queen. Not passionate enough to evoke pleasure, not rude enough to spark contempt. It is an album that shies from both ends of the emotional spectrum. In short, slip of the tongue is one dull date. White Snake's last album may have been a tad too radio friendly, but it had its moments. You couldn't help but be suckered in by the sinister guitar intro to Crying in the Rain or the raspy sexiness of the horns on Is This Love? Horns? Yeah, I was when you said horns, I was like horns. <laughs> I don't know what Is this love? <laughs> <laughs> I picture like being covered by Chicago. <laughs> is this horn? Doo -doo 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 -doo. Is this horn? <laughs> um, there's nothing that sounds even remotely as heartfelt on Slip of the Tongue. Axe slinger Steve Vai, who sat in for the injured Adrian Vandenberg on the album and is now a member of the band, could have been saving could have been the saving grace had he not been buried under a mishmash of sappy strings arrangements and declawed power chords. Vi's inventive noodlings and his talent for producing quirky harmonics provide some bright moments, but for the most part, he's so ankle-deep in sludge that he couldn't step into the spotlight and sparkle without leaving his shoes behind. They always gotta be clever. Hmm. Only two tracks on Slip of the Tongue provoke any reaction. Now You're Gone makes you wonder why Whitesnake wouldn't want to write a song so derivative of the theme from Flashdance. While Slowpoke music has a strong wow. enough groove that you almost want to listen to it again. Slip of the tongue? Slip of the scalpel would have been more like it. This album won't leave you feeling exhilarated, and it won't feel leave you feeling disgusted. Like a musical lobotomy, it will leave you feeling nothing. Kim Yikes. Neely. Jeez. Yikes. Man. I gotta have a drink after that. That's just... <laughs> Harsh. Harsh. Okay, then we've got um, uh, earofnewt.com. Steve Newton... Um, who's a really great reviewer. He's got, he's got his own Patreon. He's on Twitter. Although we haven't been on Twitter in a few months now, but he's on Twitter and he mm -hmm. has like a Patreon to um, where you can get like access to all of his old interviews and stuff. So he's interviewed a bunch of, bunch of great people and he's got reviews and all that sort of stuff. So really cool guy. Um, he wrote this originally published in the Georgia Strait on December 8th, 1989. He says, David Coverdale sure knows how to make good use of his previously recorded tunes. First, he had a huge hit with the revamped version of Here I Go Again, and now he's resurrected a nine-year-old British hit called Fool for Your Loving and released it as the first single from the new slip of the tongue. It's actually one of the best tracks on the record. Coverdale is also pretty effective when it comes to picking guitar players to accompany his heavy blues rock bastardizations. This time he's out... He, uh, this time he snagged a lanky string bender, Steve Vai, from the clutches of David Lee Roth. And the result is an LP that, while a little short on the killer tunes, definitely has the talent to back it up. As per usual, Coverdale's macho lyrics get a bit much on tracks like Cheap and Nasty and Kitten's Got Claws, so he won't be winning any feminist fans this time around. But with Vi in the fold and the steady work of bassist Rudy Sarzo and veteran drummer Tommy Aldridge, fans of crotch-grabbing raunch and roll should be satisfied here. <laughs> Crotch grabbing. <laughs> Raunch and roll. That's pretty good. I'd say it's a very fair review. Um, 
a good one. It's funny. They always they can't just tell call them guitar players. They have to, you know, axe benders and string winders. They have to like <laughs> everyone always has to like throw in some. Mm, yeah, you know, we should we should make like a random generator to just make up terms for guitar players. String mm. weavers and <laughs> string weavers. <laughs> Would you say like axe grinders and axe? You know this this veteran axe man Steve Vai takes over. You know they're always saying axe like, which yeah. is which is appropriate. Like I, you know Steve Vai is an he he's an axe man. Like uh, you know I could pick up a guitar. I'm not an axe man. Nobody's gonna call me that. <laughs> I'm just like no, no, I'm a guitar. They'd be like uh, uh sort of sort of uh, passable <laughs> guitar player Nate Beaudry <laughs> they'd be like Deep Purple podcast host and axe wizard Nate Beaudry <laughs> that'd be great yeah if some other uh, podcast picks me up the former axe wizard of the Deep Purple podcast <laughs> lends his uh, his fluttering fingers to this production <laughs> fluttering fingers <laughs> oh, oh man too much um. Yeah. So then I got a few more reviews here. Um. This is a, I think a very long one. So I'll just. <laughs> this is from. Um. Let's see if I can get this here. This is from Kerrang. Um. And you can tell by the way that they 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 just throw K's in every word, no matter what. <laughs> this is called records, spelled with a K and a Z. <laughs> Ooh. It's like um, the uh, you know the, the, the it wasn't the, the term wasn't misspelled enough, so it's like records. Mm. Uh, it starts off with Steve Vai is the most musically articulate musician I've ever worked with. He's working sonic tapestries from hell on this album. That's what David Coverdale said in Kerrang! Issue two sixty. Um, you can also add to the above the accolades that Vi is also a peerless technician and in many ways perhaps the most accomplished guitarist around. But Wait Snake guitarists of old, John Sykes, Mickey Moody, Bernie Mosdren, and Mel Galley have always come from the stable that produced players with blues grounding coupled with a certain Britishness in their approach. Steve Vai, on the other hand, is a different animal altogether, and whether sonic tapestries from hell, which mesh with the heavenly perfection to David Lee Roth's material and approach are at home within Whitesnake, or what Whitesnake was, is questionable. Um, so I'll just read the last part of this, because it's a very long review, and I'll put it in the show notes if anyone wants to read the whole thing. What does remain of the old Whitesnake is Coverdale's crotch-massaging lyrics, unsubtle, of course, but an integral part of Whitesnake's fabric, and his undeniably great rock voice, delivered here. It has to be said, with quite some fire, three Ks might appear harsh, but you have to judge a major band by the standard they've already set for themselves. At the end of the day, the bottom line is, in the final analysis, in a word, in a nutshell, overall, perhaps the real disappointment of Slip of the Tongue is that despite being a decent album, but for the wrong reasons, it serves to just about complete White Snake's transformation from a great British band to a good and no doubt successful American band. U.S. corporate rock gains another notch on its gun barrel. Paul Henderson. Okay, so a couple of things. <laughs> First of all, uh, crotch massaging is probably my favorite term ever now. <laughs> what, to describe music or just in general? No, well, I, I think kind of both. Who doesn't um, like a good crotch massage? 
but, but I mean, so Coverdale's crotch massaging rock, you know, yeah, rock. Oh, I didn't think of that. His crotch massaging new album, whatever. Um, and also that they're just like three K's. Mm, not, not good. Yeah. And that's the, I think I brought that up before with, um, with, uh, Kerrang is they, they, they rank everything in K's. So this one gets yeah. KKK, which is, you know, I mean, <laughs> not. I think for a British publication, it's probably not as big a thing or they maybe didn't even think about it, but in America, yeah, that doesn't come across too well. I mean, for some idiots, it might, but <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> not, well, not, you, not for most people. <laughs> do you remember the episode of the Simpsons where they have Krusty's comedy classic, <laughs> but they spelled it all with K's. And so he had the three K's behind him, and then he came out, turned around and saw it and he goes, Oh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at least Krusty had the, you know, the 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 <laughs> ability to see it for what it was. Um, but they 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 have the little guide up at the top, mm-hmm. which is one K is cack, which I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Two K's is chronic, which I guess is bad. Three K's is capable, and of course, all of this is spelled with a K because it's Korean. Yeah. Four K's is Kraken, and five K's is cataclysmic. Um, Yikes! Yeah, but. Yeah, it gets three Ks. The worst number of Ks. <laughs> I always thought that was weird too at baseball games. You know, when they get a strike, they put a K out, and I'm like, uh. <laughs> I mean, there's other ways you could de- you could designate a strike. You know, like, does it have to be a like K? S? Why K? Why? I'm sure there's some history behind it, but there's a bunch of letters before that in the word strike. So why do we have to put out three Ks? But S for strike. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't know. Or, 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 yeah, just about anything. I don't know. Anyway, that's the Kerrang! review. Next up, we have this Spotlight review. I'm not sure where this was from, to be honest with you. Um, it's a very short one. It says, um, sequel to multi-platinum White Snake finds David Coverdale in co-string, somewhat from the Zep-style formula of Last Opus. Really? <laughs> what? <laughs> not really. <laughs> I think they're going more... T- there wasn't much Zep-like in the last one. Well, I guess Still of the Night is kind of Zeppelin. But- I mean, if anything, they were running headfirst into more. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I would say. I'd say this is much more blatantly Zeppelin than even... See, Still of the Night is, is reminiscent of it. Um, Judgment Day sounded like almost a you know direct copy, but... Steve Vai sits in on guitar for Adrian Vandenberg, who will rejoin the group with Vi on tour, producing plenty of hot spots for Axe Maniacs. Ah. <laughs> 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 Fool for Your Lovin' is a strong send-off with power ballad Now You're Gone, looming as a natural for airplay follow-through. One of the big ones for seasonal sales and beyond. So you could, whatever this is, it's got to be an um, American publication. Then we've got this one, which is written in German. So I'm just going to skip right through that. It's got the, you know, it's got the, we'll have to, we'll have to send this to Raf Kaff for translation. Mm. Um, it's got that, you know, I, I like what the Germans have that like thing that looks like a capital B, but it's not. And it's at the end of the word. I don't, it's cool. It's cool language. Um, and then this one is just about the single uh, White Snake, Fool for Your Lovin'. It's a new, it's original, it's unheard of, it's thrilling, it's chilling. I sound like a Coca-Cola advert, though not half as much as this corporate all-American creamed teen anthem does. The flip side called Slowpoke Music, what a wag he is. 
Hello, America. Bye bye, Dave. So clearly an English publication. All right. What a wag he is. Okay. Also, creamed teen? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, what, I don't know what that means. It's know. also not new and original. It's a remake from nine years earlier. Yes, which is, I think, what he's getting at. Okay. He's being sarcastic, darling. Oh well, that's lost on me. I'm a. John, I'm just a. Yeah, I'm just a Yankee. John, you stupid wag! Don't be such a wag. Ooh, <laughs> Dems fighting words. Dems, Dems fighting words. <laughs> Dems fighting words, darling. The ultimate British expression. Dems fighting words. <laughs> oh, it's not even an expression outside of New York. <laughs> hey, Dems fighting words. All right. So there you have it, folks. Um, Yes, I want want to say fool for your loving, but it's not fool for your loving. It is um, slip of the tongue. But hey, before we close things out, we have to, of course, do one thing. Well, not not just one thing. We have to do several things. Um, But the first up is merchandising. Merchandising. Come. I'll show you. Open up this door. All right. The incomparable Jeff Bryce sent over a bunch of goodies from his collection, as he always does. Um, and this one, we've got the, the CD single for Deeper the Love, showing the kind of lineup of the band. <laughs> Tommy, now I can't stop laughing at Tommy Aldridge. It's a good-looking group of guys and Tommy Aldridge. <laughs> I remember when I was talking last episode about that the, the rundowns that Jeff would do, and he was like, he'd, he'd give the rundowns of the bands and get all the years wrong and everything. He did one too, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, this guy and this guy, and he's like, and then he had this bass player who was ugly as sin. <laughs> I don't know who he's talking about, but I'll have to dig that up. So this is the CD single, Deeper the Love. It's also got Judgment Day, Sweet Lady Luck, and Fool for Your Loving, the Vi Voltage Mix. I feel like we need to... Ooh, that sounds electric. I know, absolutely electric. Um, He sent in some Darker Than Blue articles, which are great. Um, This is... uh, What was this one? This is white vinyl, obviously. Um, Hmm. Which one was this? No, it's a fool for your loving anyway. It's a, it's a white vinyl mix. Um, it's the back of it. Um, then we've got Now You're Gone. Another, I think this, this looks like a full-sized disc here. Another single. Ooh, look at that. David Mom Jeans Coverdale there. <laughs> he does have mom jeans in that. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, though, is, is like back then he could pull it off. He kept dressing like that. And until he cut his hair a couple of years ago, he actually did look like somebody's grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one has a, uh, you know, a little rundown of the band and the and the. Um, Steve is the only guitarist I was interested in approaching to join White Snake, says Coverdale. He's a giant of a musician and most certainly an inspiration for me to vocally fly. Okay. Um, so it's got a little, little gatefold here with 
Nice picture. Steve Vai on like the top of a building or the very edge of a building. Looks a little dangerous. Mm. Um, Adrian Vandenberg. It's got the full band there, minus <laughs> the keyboards. Um, okay. Another gatefold. We got the back of it here. What else do we got? Um, yeah, that's pretty much the, the majority. This one is great. And <laughs> Jeff Price said, wouldn't this look good on your mantle? So this is a uh, this is that same picture of John of of David Coverdale in the mom jeans, uh, but it's like a picture disc, and it's like so the record is the shape of David Coverdale. That would be amazing to hang up. Mm. Um, I thought you maybe you were um, just referring to the hole in his crotch. Oh yeah, there's a hole, hole right in his wiener. <laughs> well, maybe a little. Yeah, maybe a little above. north, a little, a little under but the belly button. Still in that. Still in that region. In that region, darling. But imagine, yeah, like just playing this on your turntable, this giant like Coverdale head rotating around. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it, it's yeah. great. He's got the jacket with the fringe and the big belt buckle. And they made like an entire picture disc of now you're gone off of it. So I got to look on eBay for this because this would look good on my mantle. I wonder, I wonder how long it would take for Jen to realize it was there. I'm guessing not very long. <laughs> I'll be at work and I'll get a, a text message with a picture saying, what the hell is this? <laughs> Or maybe nothing. She'll just she'll just bring it down to the studio and leave it down here, or let the dog chew it up. <laughs> Whatever's easiest. <laughs> yeah, it says it says on the side, free plinth to fold up and make yourself. What the hell's a plinth? I know not, my friend. Oh, a heavy base supporting a statue or vase. Oh, so it's got like be like a backing on it, so it'll stand up. Oh, okay. Because you're not you're not getting this to play. You're getting this. It might not even have the song on it. You're just getting this to put on your mantle. Yeah. I love how they just drop plinth in there. Like it's a term that everyone uses every day. <laughs> you know, plinth. Yeah, it's a free you plinth. Know. Who doesn't like a plinth? <laughs> and a free one at that. I mean, usually they make you pay for a good plinth. Uh, all right. So there you go, folks. That's a uh, slip of the tongue. And with that, we have to go on to our next step, which is, of course, to thank our next level of patrons, which is our foundation, le found foundation level patrons coming in at the three dollar and fifty cent deep purple New York tier. We have Lord Longford at the three pound aromatic feed tier. We have Simon Ford and Richard Brees. At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leesk. At the $3 nobody's perfect tier, Peter Gardo. Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback. Stuart McCord. Then we have... Ivan Fieldboo. Runar Siemensen. JJ Stenard. Ruinous inadequacies. Sorry. Uh, John Maselli. <laughs> no way, Sam. You went to college, all right, but in America. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies. Michael Boyette and Corey Morissette. 
at the $1.71 I want my own tier tier, we have... Rich, young, we... <laughs> at the 10 kroner tier, Karsten Lau. And then at the $1 made up name tier, we have the cheap and uh, I'm sorry, the deeper the grave, Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 Fanatic, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel, <laughs> Blackmore Tights, Steve Down to Earth Kohler, Zwapper the Electric Alchemist. Anders Engstrom, and Ashley Still I Hear Burn Rose. Thank you to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. All right, John, we did it. We made it through another White Snake album. We did. Wasn't um, yeah, wasn't the best. Wasn't the wasn't the worst. You know what? Even if it's, it doesn't matter if it's the best or the worst, we're having fun, folks. Yep, we're having a grand old time. Beats working. <laughs> it's a living. <laughs> it is not a living, folks. If it was, we'd be cranking out as many episodes as Scott Haskin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'd be doing nine episodes a week. <laughs> we just instead we're struggling to get, to bring you one, but ah, oh, but not this time. Not this time. Nope. Nope. No, we're finally we're finally catching up, finally folks. On that, yep, finally catching up. We're getting ahead. We're going to be doing our Christmas episode any day now, and just and then we're going to just sit back and relax for the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, coasting to twenty twenty four. Exactly. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much to everybody for listening. We'll be back at it next week with an episode about. Well. well, you'll see. <laughs> All right, folks. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. KKK, that's not good. Plinth.